Amen. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> what a blessing to, to know, Father, that our hope is in Jesus. And Father, that you have given us your Holy Spirit to make all of this real, intimate, and personal. And we thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you through song. And now, Lord, as we worship you through the word, we ask you to teach us, grow us. And Father, we ask that you be most glorified here this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good morning. How is everyone? Blessed. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans. And uh, last week, we just barely scratched the surface of the very first verse. And today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And let me read these for you, and then we'll, we'll, we'll tell you where we're headed. So first of all, Romans chapter 1. Grab your smart device, your Bible. Please bring your Bible or your smart device, and let's... Let's get into it together. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom also you are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, verse 7, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, man, so much here. Let's spend the next 20 hours on this. We can really do it. It's so powerful. Well, I'm going to break our text up into three ways today. And once again, it's an alliteration. We're going to look at the call. And pay particular attention to the, the format that I believe Paul is writing to this church. And if you'll recall, he wrote this two years prior to visiting this church. He wrote it on his third missionary journey while he was in the town of Corinth. And, and this is his, his opening, if you will. And, and he starts off with the call. This is who Paul is in Christ. And I will articulate, I hope, that this is our call as well. That Paul's no different than you and I. That God wants to use you and I in extraordinary ways as well. Amen? So we're going to look at the call. Then we're going to look at the Christ. Paul argues by writing that life is centered around Jesus Christ. Not some myth, not Greek mythology, not Roman mythology, but Almighty God himself, Jesus Christ. So we'll look at the call, then we'll look at the Christ, and then we're going to wrap up this morning with the condition, your existence. Who are you in Christ? And we'll learn in the original language. We see in the English language here, it says, to those who are in Rome, to be saints. The to be was put there by the translators several hundred years ago. That's not in the original language. It's in the present imperative. If you're a follower of Jesus today, God looks on you as a saint. Not that you're going to become one, but positionally you are a saint. So we'll look at the call. We'll look at 
the Christ, and we'll look at the condition. And, and what I want to encourage you with today, that, that the book of Romans is, is just full of doctrine, full of theology. It's the apex, they say, of biblical theology. But everything we look at in the book of Romans is incredibly applicable to you today. That You can walk out of here and understand that Paul had an encounter with the living God. And today you can have an encounter with the living God as well. So I want to encourage you today that everyone here today, every follower of Jesus today, there is the call on your life. To every follower, every Christ follower, every believer today, you have a condition, you have an existence, you have a standing in Christ, and that is you are a saint. And every follower, every believer here today, without the Christ, your call your condition, your existence, your purpose on earth means nothing without Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to throw this out to you. I was thinking this week, and i got to move a little slow. i got my girdle on from my back. So um, for those of you who don't know, I had back surgery 23 days ago. Not that that matters. So I was, uh, Tammy and I were driving yesterday. We went up north for a, for a meeting and came back, and uh, I was asking her in the car if this analogy would work. So if you don't like it, um, blame me. And, but uh, she thought it was cool. So I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible says over and over, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? We know according to Psalm 19 that says his word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Throughout scripture, we see metaphors likening the word of God unto delicious foods. So here's the analogy. How many of you like Oreo cookies? Seriously, it's the best, isn't it? We've got the two crusts, right? Now, the, the crust is okay by itself, but it's just not good, right? But what makes the Oreo cookie amazing? The cream, the peanut butter, the mint... I remember several years ago, Tammy and I, uh, she bought a bunch of um, Oreo cookies, and, and, and I, I, I ate them all. And they were the mint ones. And, oh, she was not happy about it. It was so much fun. And yet she threw me down on the ground. It's just, don't you ever eat my cookies again. I'm just laughing at her, you know. And, but think about this for a moment. Without the middle, without the mint, without the peanut butter, without the cream, the Oreo cookie has nothing to it, does it? So here's the analogy. Taste and see that the Lord is good. His word is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Without the Christ, and Paul's going to argue here in the very beginning that Jesus Christ is God. Without the Christ, your call, your condition means nothing. Life is centered around the centrality and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because he is what makes your call real. He is what makes our condition amazing in him. Let's develop that as we jump into our text. Last week I shared verse 1, and I barely touched the surface, so I'm just going to touch on this real quickly. That, that we, we, we look, Paul starts off his, his note, his letter to this church there in Rome, that, that Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And, and we identified that in most of Paul's letters, he said, Paul, a bondservant. We looked at Jude, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. James, the other brother of Jesus, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Up front, 
All of the biblical men who wrote the New Testament identify themselves as doulos. That's the Greek word for servant. And the idea with this is, is that one who is a doulos is submitting 100% to their master. In other words, they're willing their will over to their master, much like Jesus did. We looked at this in Luke chapter 22 when, when he's sweating great drops of blood and he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there's any other way to save mankind, let it be, but not my will, but thy will. Right before Jesus is betrayed by a friend by the name of Judas, before hundreds of soldiers came and spat upon him, mocked him, beat him, put him in shackles, and took him to, to be crucified, Jesus Christ said this, not my will, but thy will be done. In other words, Jesus, our model, was willing his will, his humanity, his will over to the will of the Father. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul wrote the following, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a doulos of Christ or a bondservant. The second phrase Paul says he's an apostle. And I love this, called to be an apostle. Your call today, just like mine, is yes, to be a doulos, to relinquish our rights to the rights of the Lord. That we wake up in the morning and we say, God, here I am today. I report for duty. I'm no longer by own, my own. You see, I've been bought with a price, the price of Jesus Christ. Peter said the blood of Christ is the redemptive agent that, that set us free. I'm no longer my own, so God, here I am reporting for duty. The second point in the call that Paul says is he's called to be an apostle, one who is sent. Now, in the original language, and I love this phrase, called to be an apostle, it's a life purpose statement for Paul, but it's also and can be a life purpose statement for us. In the original Greek language, the word apostle is translated as one that is sent, one that is 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 a messenger, a, a proclaimer, or since the Olympics are going on, though it's the Winter Olympics, but in the Summer Olympics, we could say we are baton carriers of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, a broadcaster of truth, called to be an apostle, one that is sent out. And folks, you know what? It's no different for you today. Paul says, hey, church at Rome, I'm writing to you this, this letter to you from Corinth, man. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you. I know I'm called to go to Rome someday. It would be two years later. You, you are a servant. I'm a servant of God. So can you be. And today, that is the same for us. And we are called to go proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what, folks? That is such good news. Today is the 13th of February. I can't believe it. It's already the middle of February, amen? It's like before we know it, it's going to be December and we'll be doing Christmas again. Well, here, it is today, the 13th, and you know what? I, I, what I love about the Lord, he's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. But God's word says that, that God is still in the business of drawing glory to his name by using his people, you and I, to proclaim his love to a lost world. And God is still today sending out his followers, equipping his saints, telling his children, inviting them to go out and share his incredible love with his creation. Have you ever thought about that for a minute? I don't know about you, but... Uh, 
we have Nat Geo. I, I, we subscribe to, I think it's uh, Disney Plus. I forget, but man, that's a, I love that. You, you just, you watch Nat Geo, and, and I was watching this thing on bears, grizzly bears, you know, and, you know, what's that going to be like in Idaho when these grizzly bears are on our property, you know? I got to be ready for this. I'm watching this. And it showed this picture of all the stars. And, and I did a little research on that, that the furthest star is beyond our comprehension. And that is at the fingertip of God. He's so big. He's so huge. And I was sitting there watching this just yesterday evening, thinking, man, God is so big. And that God is so small in that he is intimate to touch your heart and say, I I'm inviting you to share my love with the lost world. I know that blows me away. And here's the beauty. You might be called to be a carpenter. You might be called to be an English teacher at Morro Bay High School, a repairman. You may work for the post office. But hear me on what God's word says. Your calling is just as holy, just as important, just as vital as Greg Laurie's as John Piper's, as John MacArthur. You pick the name, these iconic figures in our culture, as just as important. You see, whether you're an investment banker, whether you are a baker or a baseball player, God has opened a door in your life, your sphere of influence, that you could share his love with the lost world. My vocation, I'm just a simple guy that teaches God's word. I'm an occasional missionary and a once in a while chaplain. But you know what? The point is, God uses us all in our gifting with the call first to be a doulos, to say, God, here I am. I report for duty. Your will be done in my life. And Father, thank you for the invitation. Like Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, here I am. Send me. I desire to share your love everywhere I go. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes to this young man, they estimate he's, you know, in his early 20s at this time. He's a senior pastor there at the church at Ephesus, and, and, and Timothy is receiving this, this letter from Paul, Paul's last letter before he is executed at the hand of Caesar Nero, and he says, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word in season and out of season. In other words, you are called, Timothy, to an apostolic ministry. And apostolic ministry simply means you are being sent out to share the good news of Jesus. Peter would pick up on this later when Peter wrote, Be ready to give an answer to every man for the hope that lies within you. Be open, be ready, because you are a follower of Christ and you are being sent out. It's mind-boggling to me. At the end of verse 1, we have three calls in verse 1, wrapped up in one, the first part of the Oreo cookie. Don't forget that analogy. We'll come back to it. There's a call on your life. There is the opportunity to be a servant, to be sent out. And then the last part of verse 1, Paul writes, separated to the gospel of God. Well, what does that mean, separated to the gospel of God? This is mind-boggling to me. Paul was separated from his mother's womb. Before the world ever began, God determined that Paul was going to share 
the message of Jesus Christ by being separated to the good news. And that's the same for you and me. Let that sink in for just a moment. It's huge. It's life-changing. Even as God separated Paul to live on this earth to share the gospel message, he's done the same for you. He's done the same for me. John Corson comments on this. He wrote, the Greek word translated gospel, I can't even begin to pronounce that. I'm going to say hardwood in Greek, hard word rather. This is where we get our word evangelist. Now, in the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated from Hebrew into Greek, in the Septuagint, this word was used when the people of Israel were released from their 70-year Babylonian captivity. In other words, after 70 years, the leaders of Babylonia would say to the Israelites, hey, I've got good news for you. Go home. You're free. And you take that to a greater level spiritually. The gospel, I think it's a poor translation. It isn't just good news, is it? It's out of this world great news. And we're separated to that. And I submit to you, before the world ever began, God did not just invite you to be a doulos, a servant of his. God did not just invite you to to receive that, that invitation to be sent out. But as you are sent out, you are separated to the great, powerful news that Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. As Paul would write to Timothy, this is a noteworthy saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for the sins of humanity. And you know, there cannot be a greater calling in our life today than to be a servant of God himself. There can't be a greater call in our life to, to be one that, that is being sent out And there cannot be a greater call in our life today than to be separated for his work. Galatians chapter 115, let me read to you uh, quickly. Paul is again writing to these several churches. He writes, verse 15, but when it pleased God, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his unmerited favor. Wow. Amen? The call. Embrace that, live it, and be blessed because of it. Well, first of all, we look at the call. Secondly, let's look at the Christ. This is verses uh, 2 through 6. Again, it, it, Paul was radically changed. He understood his call on the road to Damascus. If you studied with us through the book of Acts, three times in the book of Acts, uh, Paul highlights his radical conversion In chapter 9 of Acts, it was there that he saw this bright light. It was 25 years earlier from when he wrote the book of Romans. And it was there that Paul said this, Lord, what will you have me to do? He understood that he was invited to be a doulos. He was invited to be separated. He was invited to be sent out. And it was from that point that Paul understood that the Christ, that Jesus, is what life was all about. You see, Paul was committed, he was dedicated, he was passionate. And I submit to you, not because he had a theological encounter with Jesus, not because he had this ascent 
to intellectualism, doctrinally speaking. You've probably heard me say this before, but I believe that Paul was no question the most intellectual, smartest man on the face of the earth at that time. Many argue even today he was perhaps one of the smartest men that ever lived. They did not have enough books at the seminary there in Jerusalem where Paul became a rabbi. His, his rabbi, Gamaliel, just didn't have enough books to give to this young, uh, zealous guy from Tarshish named Saul. If anybody could brag on their intellectualism, it was Paul. But I submit to you, and this is why I, I just want to encourage you with this, is that Paul had an intimate, personal encounter with the living God when he met Jesus Christ. So very important. And for us today, as we look at the Christ here, in our second point, if we're simply students of ecclesiology or churchology, that's not a word, but ecclesiology, if we're simple students of just theology, I believe we're going to miss it. Oh, miss what? We're going to miss that intimate, moment by moment relationship with the living God that Paul had. And that's why Paul, as he's writing from a prison cell, Literally a couple of years before he is killed, he said, that I might know him. The Greek word is, is, is that I might have experientially, in, I have experiential encounter with God every day of my life, that I might know him. And, and, and the power of the resurrection, in other words, that those things I don't want to do, I don't have to do anymore because it's the power of the living God in me. I want to know you, God, like never before. And he's writing this at the end of his life. And have power over sin. And have fellowship with you in the sufferings. The sufferings of Christ, he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. You see, Paul had this intimate relationship. Yes, he, he writes the greatest, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, doctrinal statement in the history of humanity called the book of Romans. Ephesians 1, verses chapters 1 through 3, very similar but what fueled that was the centrality of the Christ in his life. Let me read verses 2 to 6 again. Which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. Paul states to those in Rome, this is the church, the born-again Christians there, that long ago the prophets promised the Messiah. And you know the scriptures Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, for one, that a virgin shall give birth, and she shall give birth when the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew one twenty one says that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God dwelling, hanging out, living with his people. 
You know Micah 5.2, this, this obscure little village called Bethlehem, the house of bread, that the Messiah would be born there. So Paul's writing to them, hey guys, this is your call, but, but this is where it's all at. It's at the Christ, and the Christ that we're talking about, the Christ that you will be sharing about as you are sent out and separated to, he is the living God that always has been, always is, and always will be. He was promised in the Hebrew scriptures. And, and for us today, an analogy we can look at is, is as, as the earth orbits around the sun, the very center of Paul's life, the epicenter of Paul's life was the sun, S-O-N. And everything around Paul's life orbited, revolved around the Christ. And for us today, it should be the same, shouldn't it? Our life should evolve, revolve, and orbit around the centrality of Jesus Christ in our life. You see, Christianity is, is not just a moral code. It's not just a teaching on how to live. Christianity is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, this Jesus, the Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Who is this Jesus? And it was important for Paul to identify who Jesus was to the church at Rome because heresies, mythology, false doctrines were beginning to infiltrate the church at Rome. So at the very onset... He wants to identify who Jesus was. When Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 30, the Father and I are one. When Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 58, when he's being confronted by the Pharisees, he said, before Abraham was, I am, which goes back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, which is a title, the name of Almighty God. So Paul's saying, church at Rome, the, the prophets talked about it, but you need to understand something. This Jesus is not just mythology. He's not a creation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. This Jesus is almighty God, creator God. David Guzik of the Enduring Word, and I quote him often, but I love what he says here. He, he, he says, quote, Jesus has both a human origin and an eternal existence. The evidence of Jesus' humanity is in his human birth. The incarnation, God becoming man. The evidence of Jesus' humanity is in his human birth. The evidence of his deity is in his resurrection from the dead. Let's analyze this quickly. In Psalm chapter 89, I'm just going to read this for you because we're running out of time. Psalm chapter 89 is a messianic psalm written several hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus. The psalmist writes the following. David writes, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, verse 4, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. In our text, Paul said, born of the seed of David. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, I want to take this even deeper. 
I encourage you to write down 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. They're prophesying about David's offspring. It had a immediate fulfillment and a future fulfillment. And it's talking about Solomon, who would take over as the third king of Israel. But it also talks about the seed of David that would be born through his line, speaking of the Messiah, who would be born of a virgin, God himself. John chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's important for us to understand, understand the argumentation that Paul is giving to the church there at Rome, that this Jesus Christ, yes, he was promised in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, and he comes through the line, the seed of David. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 23, just to uh, have the word of God interpret itself, We see here, verse 23 of chapter 12, and all the multitudes were amazed, you see, when Jesus spoke, and the blind and mute man was able to speak and see. All the multitudes were amazed and said, listen, could this be the son of David? Throughout Jesus' ministry, he is referred to as the son of David. You remember the Canaanite woman in, in, in Chapter 15, verse 22 of Matthew. She comes to Jesus. She says, my, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. I need help. Oh, son of David, would you please help me? We see the blind men in Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, speaking of the deity, speaking of the, the godship, if you will, of Jesus Christ. The blind men said, son of David, have mercy on me. We know the crowds, when they saw Jesus, They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be to God, Hosanna to the son of David or the seed of David, the one who came through the lineage of David. Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Understand this. Jesus calls himself the root and the offspring of David. Back to Romans chapter 1. Paul identifies the call. I'm a servant I'm I'm sent out. I'm separated. That's the same for you and I. What is he separated to? What is he sent out to do? Who is he a doulos, a servant to? He is a doulos to the living God, the Christ, who life should orbit around. The very epicenter of our life should be Jesus. And that's why in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul wrote the following. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow, of those in heaven on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father forever. And folks, here's the point. If we're missing the Christ, we're missing it. If we're missing an intimate encounter with the living God, we're missing it. I remember several years ago, I was at a a youth conference down in San Diego, and Martin Luther King's Jr.'s granddaughter was sharing. And she got up and spoke. It was like 3,000 of us, you know, youth guys there. And she got up and just great, gave this great speech, great message you know and at the end of it she said but you know I want you to throw everything away 
I just said. She said, you're a youth pastor. And if you don't have an encounter with the living God every day of your life, you're missing your call in life. God doesn't care about what you do. He cares about who you are in him. That was so powerful. I've never forgot that. Let me add some text to this. A few days before Moses dies, he writes the following. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and you may cling to him. For he is, listen to this, he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them, for he is your life. Several thousand years later, Paul's writing a circular letter to the church there in Colossae. It was also read in Laodicea and other churches around. And in chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also be with him in glory. And so many times we get so excited, you know, 1 Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, we're waiting for the trump of God. When Christ appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. But a lot of times we leave out that phrase, the phrase, who is your life? Who is your life? You see, the, the scriptures are emphatic. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. We have the call. A servant. One sent. One separated. We have the Christ. And I close with a condition. Check it out. Verse 7. Back to Romans chapter 1. This is who you are in Christ. This is your identity. This is your value. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And I believe we could put in there, to all who are in, more obey. Let's personalize this. To all who are online, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned before, the word to be is italicized in your, your Bible. It was inserted by the uh, translators from Greek to uh, the old English language. And it was inserted to make the flow a little bit more copacetic, a little English translation, you can understand it. But the idea to be carries with it, that's something we can achieve. The way it's written in the original ancient Greek language, again, it's in the present imperative. This is a condition that is granted. This is who you are. It's a gift from Almighty God. It's not something you achieve. It's not something you work toward. Rather, on the contrary, it's a reality. Or as I put it, it's the condition. And you know, there's only two types of people that have ever lived. Those who are saints and those who aren't. If you're a believer with us today, God looks at you and sees Jesus. He sees the finished work of Christ on your life and you are clothed with garments of praise and robes of righteousness and you own this, believe it, embrace it. You are the apple of his eye, the affection of his heart. That's your condition. I read a story just the other day about a young boy who was in Sunday school. And it was, a, it was a, a beautiful building, and in the Sunday school room, they had a bunch of um, stained glass windows of, of the apostles. You know, had St. Paul, or St. Uh, John, St. Peter, St. Bartholomew, and, and the teacher was teaching the children about what does it mean to be a saint. 
And uh, uh, so she asked the kids, hey, what does it mean to be a saint? So, so little Johnny pops up and says, I know, I know. And she says, well, what does it mean, Johnny? He goes, you know, I think a saint is the ones that, and he points up to St. Saint, Saint John, I think it's the ones that the light shines through. That's what a saint is. And you know, what a great example. You know, in the beautiful Sermon on the Mount there in Capernaum on the Mount called Beatitudes, if you've never been there, it's just a beautiful spot here. You, get, you know, Charlotte, remember that. It's just awesome when we were there. It was said that Jesus spoke to, they estimate 3,000 people. And he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. In other words, you're not going to become, but as a follower of Christ, that's your condition. That's who you are. And that's why Jesus would wrap up that saying in verse 16, chapter 5 of Matthew. You are the light of the earth. Let your light so shine that when men see you, they will do what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Folks, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not going to become a saint. The finished work of the cross authenticated with Jesus Christ rising from the dead was sufficient to make you a saint now and forever. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says the following. Check it out. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. I wrap up with this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. <laughs> Is that beautiful? Before the, I read this the other day. I loved it. Before the foundations of the earth, God knew who was his. He justified us before the foundations of the earth, just as if we had never sinned. And at that point where God took our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west, at that born-again experience, we became justified forever. But God already knew it. Before we were born, we were justified in the mind of God. While we are on this earth, that's Romans chapter 5, verse 1, while we are on this earth, we are being sanctified, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Day by day, God removing the dross, the dust from our eyes when we look at the log and the others. God moving that stuff from us. Justified before, sanctified in, and throughout all of eternity glorified because of the Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Paul ends his opening with, you know, grace, beloved, grace and peace. Once again, uh, beloved, the affection uh, of his heart I, you know, I, I have to say this. I know we're running out of time, but Paul uses this beautiful, endearing word, beloved. Look to your neighbor right now and say, you are beloved. It's good. Say it. You know what this word is? It is the exact same Greek word that when John the Baptist 
baptized Jesus in the river called Expectation Jordan and pulled him up from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That word beloved, that's God saying this about Jesus, is the same word that the Holy Spirit told Paul to write to the church at Rome. And I propose to you, it's the same word for you today, that God looks on you with the same affection that he looked on on his son. Wow. He says, grace. That was a, a Greek greeting. You're immoral, but hey, what's up, dude? Hey, hey. I think we should say grace. That's what they did in the ancient world. That means, hey, unmerited favor to you today. And then they said peace, and that was a Jewish greeting. Peace or shalom be upon you. I, I, I think that's beautiful. Folks, God's word teaches us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 119, verses, verse 103. His words are sweet to our taste, sweeter than honey to our mouth. 1 Peter 2, 2. Desire the pure milk of the word. Folks, the silly analogy I started with this morning, the Oreo cookie. Without the center, it means nothing. And I just believe the full counsel of God's word without the Christ at the center of our life where everything we do is to draw him glory. Everything we do evolves, revolves, and orbits around the centrality of Jesus Christ in our life. That's where life is to be lived. And as Paul begins this great masterpiece of theological, doctrinal, absolute truth that never can be changed, he begins with this, church at Rome, you have a call. Rock Harbor, you have a call. You have an invitation to be a servant, to be sent out, to be separated to the gospel. You have a condition. Your condition is God sees you and sees Jesus on you. Your value is wrapped up in the finished work of the cross, validated when Jesus rose from the dead, secured when Jesus ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father 40 days after he rose from the dead. And we're going to just enjoy that now and when he comes back for us when we meet him in the air. Amen. But none of that means anything unless... We celebrate the Christ, the Christ, the centerpiece of our faith. Amen? Father, we're so grateful for today. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the no condemnation, no judgment, because our Savior, Jesus, Father, took that upon himself. And we come to you today and we praise you. Father, I would ask that even now as we open up the front of the stage to minister to your saints, Father, to pray for those who would like prayer. Father, that this would be a neat, precious time of ministry as we celebrate Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for giving him to us and giving us the Holy Spirit to make all this real and personal and intimate. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said,